Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So this week, I've got Dr. Carla Turner's Voices of the Taken, in which Dr. Carla Turner allows each woman from her book, Taken, a look into the alien abduction phenomenon to speak briefly and explain some of the odd experiences they've had with alien abductions. The second clip I have for you is an interview with Kelly Cahill, conducted in the late 90s. In this, she goes into her alien abduction experiences, as well as the aftermath. Alright, let's get it. Now, I know this is a longer episode, but I want to thank you guys for listening. It's almost been a year. It's one week shy of a year. And while it may not seem like much, within that time frame, I've had 4,100 listens. Now, that's a big accomplishment to me. I've got some regular followers and some people who actually listen and enjoy my stuff as well as some of the audio I find and put out there to make more widely accessible. Now I realize I've been putting more audio up recently than my interviews or even just my UFOs and the paranormal or breaking down cases. Now while I'm working on my book stuff, I'm also going over these cases again and looking for little pieces and as you can imagine, that's a lot of work. And while I do have some good guests, lined up to interview and things like that, you are going to get a little bit more of the audio recordings, at least for the time being. Now to me, it's been a great year. I appreciate all of you for listening, and we're going to keep going. So I want to ask that if you like my podcast, go ahead and share it out there. Let people know about it. Get the word out. Because there's a lot more things I'd like to do. We don't have a lot of people doing a lot of good work in the alien abduction research department. That is to say, no one's even tried to do what John Mack or Bud Hopkins has tried to do, at least to everybody in the public's knowledge, right? Of course, they have the MUFON studies and things like that, but when do you hear about that? Never, unless you are a part of MUFON. Now, personally, that's something I cannot appreciate. But I digress. I have a controversial guest that I'm going to invite on. And I do have a very big one coming on in December that I didn't want to let everybody know about just yet, but I'm going to do it because I'm excited about it. And that's Stan Gordon. And you guys are really going to enjoy that. But I've got some other guests lined up as well. So I want to thank you guys for an awesome year. I realize that 4,100 doesn't seem like a whole lot, but again, to me, that's a huge accomplishment. I still remember my very first podcast, looking back, realizing how horrible it was compared to now. Now, my podcast may still be horrible, but to me, I've gotten a little better. I remember that first 100 listeners... And if I recall correctly, that took about a week or two to get. And that just had such a great feeling that somebody actually heard me out. So I want to thank you all from the deepest part of my heart for listening to my podcast. 
listening to my research, some of the odd conclusions I come up with, and sticking with me. Thank you for an awesome freaking year. I'm Dr. Carla Turner, author of Into the Fringe and Taken, Inside the Alien-Human Abduction Agenda. What you're about to hear are the voices of the Taken, six women whose experiences are recounted along with four others in Taken. On Friday, you will meet Anita and Amy, both of whom live in Texas, and Beth, who lives in Puerto Rico. On side B, you will meet Angie in Tennessee, Jane, another Texan, and Polly, who lives in the Adirondack Mountains. Hello, my name is Anita. I'm in my late 40s. I've been married for 30 years this, this April to the same guy. I have three grown children and four grandchildren. I was born and raised in Texas and have lived here all my life. My main interests are reading and music, with side interest in the study of religion, psychology, and holistic medicine. My first actual sighting of a UFO didn't occur until my early teens, when I lived in the country with my parents and brothers and sisters. My older brother yelled for us one night to come and look out the bedroom window. We all went running to the window and looked out. About half a mile away was a string of colorful lights moving just above the tree line to the south. It was moving west to east. My first encounter with the euphonaut occurred many years before when I was around four or five years old. He was totally human and was dressed in a red flight suit. People didn't wear red back then. I guess I'm aging myself when I say that, but it's true. People didn't wear loud colors like that when I was a child. Maybe that's why I remember it so well. He has been with me telepathically since then. I've also met at least one gray. He doesn't like humans at all. One sharp blue being and the tans who seem to be somewhat more inclined to be friendly than the grays. The human was, to use my daughter's slang, a hunk. Gray was taller than me and was accompanied by the blue who was shorter than me. They were walking ahead of me down a curving corridor and silly me was trotting along behind them like a good little girl. I remember looking down at the blue and thinking I had never seen a blue person before. When I thought this, he turned and grimaced at me. I guess it was a grin, but it looked more like a grimace. After the second encounter with the red-seated humans when I lived in South Texas, I came down with a ringworm-like rash that lasted for six weeks, and this was 20 years after the first remembered encounter. With the tans and the grays, I can always count on a violent headache the next morning, accompanied by nausea and vomiting. Sometimes the headaches last for a week. My telephone acts crazy sometimes. Toward the middle of January of this year, my phone rang and I picked it up. There was no one on the line, but the line was open. I could vaguely pick up a conversation on the line, but, but it was more like a cross-conversation. That wasn't too bad, but the eerie thing is I have two lines on the phone and could not, couldn't get either line to disconnect from the phone call. I hung up, waited a minute, and then picked up the phone again. The lines were still open. There are times when I can be sitting and reading and all the power in the house will just shut down. Sometimes it's back on within minutes. Other times it will be off for up to 30 minutes or more. We've had to buy alarm clocks with battery backups so we don't oversleep in the mornings. I've heard the clicking sounds in the middle of the night just before I get the old familiar electrical zap and then I'm out until morning. I've been the recipient of the electrical zap all my life. 
Until I started reading about UFO abductions, I thought everyone had these zaps, so I never thought of them as peculiar. The zaps aren't painful. It's like getting shot, but without any associated pain. It goes through the center of my body. There are, however, sometimes powerful enough zaps that they make me sit up in bed. As far as family involvement goes, the majority of my family has been involved in some way with UFO activity. Both of my sisters, my daughter, and myself have a brown mark on our left leg between the knee and ankle. Mine is on the right inner side of my left leg. My brothers who drive trucks have not only seen UFOs, but have been followed by them. My youngest sister feels compelled at times to drive out to the country and lie down in her car and go to sleep. She will awaken in an hour or so and drive back to town. The only thing I know for sure is this. Whatever their reasons for being here, and they've been here for a very, very long time, we haven't been seriously injured. If they wanted to kill us or take over the planet, they would have done so. I hope in the not-too-distant future we'll find out what their purpose is. Maybe they're here to help, maybe not. But in the meantime, all we can do is keep reading books like Carlos and try to find out what's going on with people. Thank you. This is Amy. Question number one. Give a little of your background, Mom, with two school-aged children. We live in the North Texas area near the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and I'm a counselor and an amateur videographer. On January 14, 1994, about 1.43 p.m. in the afternoon, I was sitting in my car eating my lunch when I saw about four objects flying in a V formation towards me. As the objects got closer, I got out of my car for a better look. I could see the tail sections, but no wings, and there was no sound. I figured they were just planes with very small wings. Sure. The planes turned to the southwest, and just as they got right over the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, they suddenly started merging together. I was standing about one mile from the airport. In less than two or three seconds, they all merged into one object and stayed as one object as they flew off to the southwest. I could not believe what I had seen. I'd heard of objects merging into one, but I didn't believe it really happened. I was totally unprepared for what I saw. After the initial shock wore off, I spent the next four hours trying to find a logical explanation for what I'd seen. I could only come up with one, and it still didn't fit, no matter how much I tried to explain it away. Three. A physical description of what you would call about two or three of the entities you have encountered. Well, I guess if I have seen any entities, uh, it would be the gray ones, the tall ones, and what Barbara Bartholet calls uh, hybrids. Uh, the gray ones, I don't remember much about except the one that I saw with the big eyes behind the mask and all I remember is seeing her eyes. They were very shiny. Um, I remember they, they looked bald. Uh, and their necks seemed to have ridges, little tiny ridges in them, like, uh, almost like you could see the bones through them, but they're real skinny little necks. And they were short. Um, in contrast, the tall ones were six feet to almost seven feet tall, I guess, from what I remember, and very thin, 
and uh, wearing long robe-like clothes or something. No hoods, just long clothes, maybe. I'm not too sure about the details. They had big heads, sort of like the grays, but that's all the features I remember about the tall ones. I've never remembered their eyes or anything else yet. Um, I have not remembered faces very well at all. Um, the hybrid one that I saw uh, looked normal in all other ways. He looked like a regular businessman, had very silver gray hair, kind of an average build. And he wasn't short or tall, he was kind of medium. But he had yellow-green eyes that were slit in the middle. Um, and he knew how to talk with his eyes. And that's about all I remember of any entities that I may have seen. Number four, describe to, describe to some degree one alien encounter. Uh, one, one, perhaps a dream experience or whatever, but I remembered it as a dream, was of an alien uh, working on a bunch of abductees on tables. And I was bugging the heck out of him, trying to make him stop. And then he turned, and it was my turn. And I guess this encounter sticks out in my mind with most feelings and emotions to it because it is really stuck with me. And when it was my turn, I realized that, you know, there was nothing I could do. And I couldn't appeal to his feeling to mercy because he had no feelings. There was no feelings at all. And that was just the most outstanding effect that I noticed was that I've never met anybody who didn't have feelings before. I didn't remember, I don't know how to deal with somebody who is not human. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like with somebody who might mug you or something, You at least you'd know that they're human and that they might show mercy and, and not kill you or anything. And that there's some kind of hope there. There's some, some kind of expectation of what that person might feel. But with aliens who don't have feelings or emotions, you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to react to the lack of feelings or the lack of emotions. There's no no humanness to appeal to. There's no, no way to talk to them. There's no common ground for communication, actually. I just remember that encounter as being very, very vivid and very startling to me because I just, it was so unknown to face someone who didn't have feelings. I didn't know how to react to it and I didn't know how, what to think. Number five, uh, describe one example each of some external effects or events that there was a phenomenon such as bone disturbances, etc. Uh, some of the disturbances or external effects that I've noticed with this phenomenon is uh, that our phones tend to ring with no one on the line quite several times a day. Uh, the phone tends to beep around 11, between 11 to 11, 12 every night. Uh, when all the light bulbs and batteries seem to go out at one time. Uh, street lights go out when we pass under them. One night we counted three lights going out as we passed them, and another night was four nights, etc. Um, 
black helicopters have flown over our house. Um, and on a couple of occasions, I've heard helicopters either circling our house or buzzing our house real low. Um, I've also heard some beeping sounds in the house that I could not account for. Involvement of other family members. I would like to think that no one else is involved, but my oldest daughter, who is called Grace in the book, uh, told me one day that she sees little balls of light that fly in the house, sometimes outside. She described them as uh, two sizes. One is about two inches in diameter. The other one's two to three feet in diameter. The little ones, she said, fly in a jerky pattern, and she said that they disappear when she tries to catch them. The big balls of light she described uh, as being very bright in the middle and having sparkle or sparkly stuff coming from around the edges. Um, she said that one night I was talking to her about it and kind of playing the devil's advocate and going, y you really don't see it. What do you see? And she told me all more and more about it, and, and she said, but Mommy, I thought everybody saw these things, and that really hit me hard, because I thought everybody had the same experiences I did, too, when I was about her age. I thought the same way she did. She also has recurring nosebleeds. This is Beth. But on July 17, 1978, Around 9 o'clock, uh, my children were already in bed. My husband was watching a TV program, so uh, I went to bed with a book. And about 10 o'clock, I turned the light off. And um, as soon as I turned, I felt and I saw a light coming through the windows. And I called my husband and told him, and he went out to find out what was happening because uh, we thought that it was a thief. You know, somebody is shining light in, into the bedroom. So he went out, he didn't find anything, and he came back again. But as soon as uh, I turned back again, uh, I saw the light come in through the window again. And... The next thing I know is that I'm in a round metallic room, uh, sitting there with my husband and other people. My husband was to my left and he was asleep. Uh, my youngest child was in my lap and he was asleep too. There was this uh, older man to my right. Somehow I got the impression that he had been in the military, that, um, well, I don't know, something about him told, told me that he had been in the military. And there was um, a young girl in her 20s, early 20s, and a young man in his early 20s, too. Uh, both of them were asleep, too. Uh, the old man sitting to my right seemed to be uh, coming out of this trance or this uh, sleeping state almost at the same time as I did. 
Uh, so I asked him, very surprised, what time is it? And he says, it's ten after twelve. So I told him, my God, how many things have happened in such a short time? I don't know why I said that, because I had no uh, recollection of anything happening. But uh, then I started looking around. I was more surprised than afraid. And I saw all this machinery going around the room. It was like a computer, so what I thought was a computer bank. And then I noticed these two small figures, uh, these two beings. Uh, they were big-headed, bald, no ears, uh, with very big dark eyes, and just a slit for mouth, and no nose, just two little holes. And the bodies were so skinny, and as they were dressed in, in kind of a metallic-looking uh, silvery jumpsuits that was very tight. So uh, I, I was very surprised to see them, but they didn't seem to notice us. They were just doing something with this machinery. Then I looked to my left, and I saw that my husband was uh, starting to wake up, and then I noticed uh, to the front of the room that the metallic wall turned into a... Uh, a glass window. I don't know how it could happen, but uh, it did happen. And I could see out, and I could aden identify the place where I was, because it was uh, a place close to the, to the place where we had this piece of land. But I was looking at this place from another, from the, uh, from the other side of the river. There was a river, and I had never been on that side of the river. But still I could identify by the houses and the road and everything, the place where, where we were. Uh, I noticed too that wherever we were was higher than the ground and we were looking down. And then I looked back at my husband and this door opened to the side and this very tall man uh, came in. This man was very pale, and the impression that I got it is that it's somebody who had never been exposed to the sunlight, and uh, he had dark hair uh, with a widow's peak. Uh, it is short hair. Uh, his eyes were bigger than ours. His features were very fine, and his uh, face, you know, around the jaw was square, and his lips were very fine, and um, he was dressed in, in the same kind of uh, clothing that the small creatures were dressed, uh, tight-fitting, silvery kind of jumpsuit, and it seemed that his boots were part of the uh, whole outfit. Uh, he had a um, 
He had a belt, a white belt on his waist, and he had gloves. He had gloves uh, on, and he was holding on his right hand um, a ball, a kind of a glass ball with a with many lights, tiny lights inside, it, 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 and it looked like they were turning on and off, on and off. It was so pretty. And then he stood there and he looked at us directly at us, and, and somehow I, I was uh, afraid of him. Well, not really afraid, but but he gave me an impression of a of being a scientist, and and I was. I felt um, that he was a very imposing figure, like somebody in command, and at the same time I felt that he was a scientist uh, or a doctor, and that stare that he gave us was like a, like a scientist when he's looking at these uh, little animals in a laboratory with no emotions at all. It was, uh, and I felt like I was a guinea pig. Like uh, I was um, part of some kind of experiment with something. It was an ugly feeling, really an ugly feeling. And uh, at that time, my husband was waking up, and he looked straight at him, and then he came into the room, stood in front of my husband, put his hand uh, over his head, turned his hand, and... The thing is that this crystal ball didn't fall off. It just stayed there like it was uh, kind of uh, stuck there. And he fell asleep again. And then he moved to me, and somehow I knew that that if he did that to me, I was going to feel like a tingling feeling, and I was going to be paralyzed. And I told him, please, not again, which implies that I knew what was going to happen or what uh, could happen if he uh, put that ball, little ball, over my head. And he did it. He put his hand over my head, and I felt what I thought or what I knew that was going to happen, and... The next thing I know, oh, uh, I forgot something. Uh, before he came in, I thought, where are my other children? Where are they? And a voice in my head told me, don't be afraid. They are here and they are okay. So I felt like, uh, like it was okay. Like it was okay with them. So uh, after he put his hand over my head with that little ball, and I uh, started feeling this tingling feeling and everything, the next thing I know is that I'm on my bed and and that I have a terrible headache. But I went to sleep again. In the morning, when I woke up, Oh, excuse me if I uh, sound funny, but uh, I have a cold, and 
this cold breeze is blowing in, and my nose feels stuffy. So, excuse me. Okay, so, in the morning when I woke up, uh, I felt awful. I had this uh, terrible pain in my head, and my body was aching all over, especially my back. Uh, it felt like uh, I had been uh, lying on a very hard surface, and I was dizzy, and I could hardly, hardly see because uh, my eyes were um, very irritated. So uh, I got out of the bed, and I went into the into the bathroom and when I look at myself in the mirror I was surprised to uh, see my eyes were swollen were red and I had this I found that I had this uh, rash on my chest and my upper abdomen and then I started feeling nauseous and I started throwing up and well as the day went by, I uh, had diarrhea, I started falling off. After that, I found out that this rash would not go away. It lasted uh, for about two months. Uh, I developed a uh, terrible fear. So every night when I went to bed, I had to leave the lights on, and I had a stick there with me because somehow I was afraid of somebody getting into the room, and I didn't know why. Uh, another thing was uh, my eyes. I had to start uh, wearing dark glasses every day since I got up till night and even the lights in the house at night would hurt my eyes so so many things were happening I, I don't remember I don't remember about my husband or the children but I know that the children were, were anxious they were kind of afraid uh, at night time when they went to bed uh, so many times they woke up like um, with a nightmare or something like that uh, all the lights and the electrical uh, everything it was um, like the lights were always uh, blowing, blowing out and we had to keep changing the lights you know the bulbs and the electrical uh, things uh, started malfunctioning and it was weird it was scary I developed this uh, thing about that house I felt people moving around I was so nervous all the time and at the same time it was like a nervous irritation. Uh, everything bothered me. 
I was, um, my nerves, my nerves were raw, I think, and it seems that all of us were like uh, under some kind of a stress. My name is Angie. I'm in my late 20s, married, and currently live in East Tennessee. My husband and I are in the beef cattle business. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, and raised with my two brothers and two sisters in North Georgia. For most of my life, I have had an intense passion for art and presently specialize in cartooning, lithography, and sculpting. I never considered putting my work on public display, but now plan to submit some of it to local craft shows and museums in the future. Before 1988, I had no memories of ever having been physically abducted by alien beings. And before 1988, I had no interest in occult or paranormal matters. I was just a normal person living an ordinary lifestyle. Ordinary were my perceptions of reality, mode of personal experiences, and state of mind. The aliens made themselves known to me when I least expected and altered what was an ordinary state of mind and they transformed what was an ordinary way of life into an extraordinary experience. I will describe one sighting of a UFO. On December 25, 1991, my sister and I enjoyed a memorable Christmas with our mother in North Georgia. We visited for five days and left around 4.30 during the afternoon of the 29th. Something extraordinary happened to us on our way back to Tennessee. As usual, I was doing the driving and decided to take the easiest and quickest route back home. By 7.30, we were about half the way home and we found ourselves stuck behind an old bus just creeping along at a snail's pace. I could not pass the vehicle because we were in a no-passing zone and moving uphill at the time. All of a sudden, a few of the passengers on the left side of the bus pulled open their windows and started shouting something. One guy pointed toward a bright blue object which hovered above the treetops some distance ahead. Angie, look, my sister shouted. At that moment, the object appeared to be slowly heading in our direction. Janet got a little excited and slapped the dashboard and said, That's a UFO. I saw that the object appeared to be disc-shaped and wingless. And as it came closer, I realized it really was a UFO, complete with dome, round black portholes, and a ring of blue and white lights. I felt a tingling sensation when the thing zoomed past us. Suddenly, the old bus moved on up to about 40 miles per hour and kept picking up speed until it was out of sight. Quite unexpectedly, my Corvette's engine went dead. The headlights dimmed to a pale yellow, and the eight-track machine quit playing. My car gradually came to a complete stop. It was clear to me what was happening. I had read a few books that portrayed stories about UFOs affecting car engines and electrical equipment, and stories about people being picked up by UFOs while driving through a desolate area at night. My blood ran cold. A blue glow filled the car. Janet screamed, 
Oh, God, it's behind us. Suddenly fearful, she scrambled for the floorboard area and pulled her coat over her head. I began to experience a dizzy sensation and heard an intermittent beeping sound, and this persisted for what seemed like only 30 seconds. The next thing I knew, the car's headlights became real bright, and the 8-track machine, radar detector, and heater were all working just fine. But the engine was still off. When I turned the key in the ignition, the car started immediately. There was no UFO to be seen. I told my sister it was okay for her to get up. God damn it, Angie, let's go, was her exact response. We got the heck out of there. Fifteen minutes hadn't passed when I heard Janet say, Do you know what time it is? It's 10.20. I thought, it can't be. But my own watch read 10.20 just as well. We looked at each other, ultimately perplexed. Three hours of missing time, and neither of us had any memory of an abduction experience. The strange encounter still haunts us to this day. Here is a physical description of what I recall about two of the entities I have encountered at underground ET government facilities. On November 9, 1993, I was examined by a being that closely resembled an oriental person. I sensed this being was a male. He appeared to be about four and a half feet tall, had thick white hair, a large forehead, slanted blue eyes, and was yellow complexioned. His legs were short, his arms were long, and his hands and wrists were unusually large. He was clad in white doctor duds and sported a stethoscope. This being spoke telepathically. On January 8, 1994, I encountered two gray entities at one of the underground ET government facilities. These beings were about four and a half feet tall and extremely thin. They had large, bald craniums, pointed chins, and glittery black almond-shaped eyes. The color of their skin was a light gray with a tinge of almond, and their complexions were smooth and unwrinkled. These gray beings also spoke telepathically. I will describe one abduction encounter. Sometime between 2 and 6 o'clock on the morning of August 10, 1993, I was abruptly taken out of a normal dream and found myself sitting in a chair in a small operating theater, possibly on board an alien spacecraft. I was partially paralyzed. Through the corner of my left eye, I could see a gray being in a group of men and women. These were busy working on an oblong object that appeared to be connected to the ceiling. And through the corner of my right eye, I could see the back of someone's shiny bald head. At first, I assumed it was one of the aliens. Only after the person spoke did I realize this was my father. I was unable to get my head turned to view what was going on with him. I do recall hearing my father laughing at one point. One of the women from the group came over and put a tiny white tablet in my mouth. 
and asked me to swallow. She never explained what the tablet was for, but did tell me there would be some side effects. This is all I was able to remember of this particular encounter. For the next three and a half days, I experienced double vision, vertigo, and some pain behind my right ear. These side effects gradually disappeared. My father also recalled being abducted on August 10, 1993, but his account was slightly different than mine. I will give examples of some of the external effects related to this phenomenon. During the past six years, there has been a lot of phone disturbances and oddities, electrical disturbances, mystery helicopter overflights and such at my home. The phone oddities occur at least three times a week. I have five phones in my house. Sometimes only one will ring. Other times I'll ring simultaneously, and when I pick up one of the receivers, the other phones will continue to ring. Sometimes the lights will dim or there is a power outage in my home when I think about the aliens or my abduction experiences. My home is buzzed by mysterious black helicopters and noiseless C-130 cargo planes more than twice a week. Stereos and televisions often switch off and on when I get within eight feet of them. Car engines seem to stall when I get in or near them. I will describe a little of the involvement of other family members. A few members of my family have either been physically abducted by aliens or have sighted UFOs on more than one occasion. When my mother was eight months pregnant with me, she had a bedroom encounter with a tall being who was wearing a black hooded cape. The being told her that he'd come there to take me away from her. Mom said the being disappeared when it sensed her anger. My father and two of his friends were camping in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains in August 1981 when they witnessed three noiseless triangular objects zoom past them at a high rate of speed. My grandmother witnessed a bright white UFO at close range when she was about 10 years old. She said the object was as bright as the sun. Her sighting lasted almost half a minute. In early 1966, my mother and father were traveling through Greenback, Tennessee late one afternoon when a black UFO the size of a car plunged into the back of their Chevy. They heard a loud noise which Dad described as sounding like a million crickets. My mother was pregnant with me during the time this incident occurred. My sister and her husband witnessed a UFO land on the side of a mountain in Townsend, Tennessee. The situation, interest, where you live, etc., etc. I'm Jane G. I'm in my early 50s. I was born and raised in Central Texas. I'm a sixth-generation Texan. 
I'm one-eighth Cherokee, one-eighth Creek, and an unknown amount of Apache thrown in there, plus Irish, English, Holland Dutch, German, and French background. I'm a retired nursing professional with active interest in history, archaeology, journalism, painting, rock art, singing, and last but not least, Mother Earth. Describe one sighting of a UFO. The first UFO I ever saw was August 12, 1992. My mother and I were out watching the meteor showers early in the morning and about 5.30, give or take a little, we both observed extraordinary moving lights in the sky, doing intricate maneuvers, things that planes could not do, two bright lights in a small portion of the sky, doing figure eights and circles and other maneuvers. We watched this extraordinary display for about 15 or 20 minutes, and we talked about it all day. I had previously known about UFOs or they were the fringe thing, you know. But when I saw my first ones, things haven't been the same since. Give a physical description of what you recall about two or three of the entities you have encountered. I have had contact with short grays. I'm, I don't know if they were three and a half or four and a half foot tall. I had nothing to compare it to at that moment. They had sharply pointed chins and wore robes with long sleeves. I have encountered beings of light and I have had encounters with robed figures that would resemble the Nord Nordics or the Swedes with the fair-colored hair, beautiful eyes, the blues, greens, hazel eyes. They seem, seem to emanate light. That's essentially what I have encountered. And these encounters have been in, in different ways. Some recalled by hypnosis. Uh, one occurred through telepathic communication, overwhelming telepathic communication. Number four, describe to some degree one alien encounter. Well, one of mine was in December of 92 when I again received overwhelming telepathic contact and I was uh, told to get my camera, clean the lens and get new batteries and get ready. This was at three in the afternoon. There was no doubt that this was telepathic communication. It was overwhelming. I was to go out about six o'clock and wait a UFO would come over and I would be able to obtain a picture. It did and I did. 
there have been other examples of telepathic communication, and that was one of the overwhelming ones. Describe one example each of some of the external effects or events in this phenomenon. It actually started in July of 92 because that entire month I felt watched. And I didn't know by who or what, but I felt watched enough that I started carrying a gun outside with me on my property. Since that time, August, I had sightings with my mom. And then after that, different things would happen. I had electrical problems that were just almost unbelievable. I had phone problems, static phone cutoffs. I began to have copters go overhead in the middle of the night at all hours of the day and circle and, and buzz my house low enough that it caused cracks in all my float, float seams. Um, I've had um, several telepathic encounters, and my telepathy and other psi abilities have increased. I've had unexplained noises like poltergeist-type things with big two-by-fours breaking in the air and beeps, rings, electronic noises, just about anything you can think of. I've had marks appear on me, which I still have. Synchronicity, synchronistic events have <laughs> increased a thousandfold. I've experienced missing time. I've uh, seen flashing rips of light in the air at night at my house. I've had black blobs float above me. I, I had a blue light land about 300 foot behind my house. There's, I've had items um, missing and returned, odd, odd items. Uh, uh, there are nu numerous other examples of these things that I've experienced. And it's been amazing. Describe a little of the involvement of other family members. Well, I've seen my first UFOs with my mom. The next UFOs I saw about a month or so later was with my sister, and I've seen some with my nephew. Um, I'm also aware of a cousin who has seen a U had a UFO sighting, and um, I'm not sure about how many others in my family since this is such a new interest for me. Uh, not only has my... Um, current family um, had these sightings and things with me. There is an extensive family history on both sides of my family uh, that goes back 150 to 200 years and stories of um, poltergeist effects, telepathy, precognitive dreams, uh, little men in black clothes appearing to warn of disasters, um, all sorts of stories. Uh, my immediate aunt uh, tell stories of uh, women in white appearing in her room at the, uh, in the middle of the night and uh, all sorts of clairvoyance and precognitive things. It runs through our family. And In fact, I had always told these stories at parties when I was younger. It was uh, fun to, to talk about and things that people in our family said had happened to them. I never really took them seriously until after I saw my first UFOs. I'm Polly in college book, and my youngest son is Sam. 
family's part Cherokee and has mystical experiences associated with Native American spirituality in addition to having experiences with UFOs. I'm a widow in my late 40s, a landscape and seascape painter. For survival, I work for a building contractor and a landscaper. If you, like us, have been drawn into the realm of aliens and UFOs, then probably, like us, you seek to understand your involvement in this other dimensional reality and its involvement in you. Sometimes it seems more that aliens and UFOs have entered our reality as when we have seen UFOs while driving through the mountains have felt impelled to go to a certain lookout point and have interacted with beings very different from ourselves within the context of our familiar surroundings. At other times we have felt drawn, spun, sucked up into their reality, a dizzying experience, not knowing if they took our minds from our bodies or if they translated minds and bodies together into some other dimension, but knowing profoundly that we had been taken. Every twist and turn of our innermost being, every secret we ever tried to keep from ourselves had been taken held in the cold power of their frail, omnipotent hands. Why? What is this insanity which defies all our notions of safety and law? They are becoming us, and we are becoming them. When they mate with us, when they take our eggs and our sperm, when they take our fears and our ideals and mirror them back to us in a thousand flashing images, they are becoming us, and we are becoming them. But I have been asked to share a few experiences with you, not speculate on the nature of our experiences. In January of 1987, I awoke sometime in the middle of the night to see two beings about four foot tall standing in front of the south window. They both wore black or dark charcoal gray hoods and robes. The hoods apparently covered their faces, all but their large, slanted, almond-shaped, glowing, lemon-yellow eyes. These eyes had no pupils. The one to my left stood slightly forward of the one to my right, and the robe of the one to my left seemed blacker than that of the other. I was able to move and leaped off the end of the bed, saying, Holy shit, this is real! I went down the hall to the room of my eldest son, was then 17. Because of the black robes, I exclaimed, I've just seen the Grim Reaper. My son said, so did I. And although I said Grim Reaper in the singular, my son then described the same two beings that I had seen. The only difference was that he said that he had seen them in his mind. After a while, I went back to the room where I had been sleeping. My large dog and I sat on the floor at the foot of the bed with all the lights on. I would lean back and close my eyes from time to time. At one point I opened my eyes and there were the same two figures. My dog saw them and looked back and forth at one and the other, sniffing loudly. Apparently she was trying to pick up their scent. They said nothing and I asked them nothing. I just wanted them to leave and told them so quite rudely. I alternately quoted scripture at them, declared the presence of God, and cursed at them. Still, they stood there, gazing toward me and my dog, with their glowing lemon-yellow eyes. Finally, they decided to leave, 
They turned in unison, glided through my second son's toy box, turned again in unison, proceeded out to the hall, and descended the front staircase, the slightly blacker robed one in the lead. After they had left, my eldest son entered the room where they had appeared. He had gone to sleep after the first encounter and had not reawakened until the end of my tirade toward them. After this, we experienced a significant increase in poltergeist activity in this large Victorian house. Objects would disappear. All four children would help me hunt them. Then often they would reappear right where we knew we had looked. Sometimes they would reappear in totally inappropriate places, like legal documents in the refrigerator. Other times they never reappeared. My daughter, beginning at age eight, almost nine, when this visit occurred, developed strong abilities of psychokinesis. She would turn electrical appliances on and off simply by thinking of turning them on and off when she was in another room from the appliance. She would approach a door hook, think of unhooking it, and it would fly up out of the eye it had been hooked into. Friends and relatives both observed her doing this, much to her dismay. Sadly, her energies were so strong that small animals in her care either died or became paralyzed. We had five yellow ducklings, and all she did was point to one and say, that one is mine, and it immediately fell over and was partially paralyzed from that time until its death the following winter. I managed to nurse it back to partial health, and it grew and developed white feathers but could never wild. My daughter hated having this strange power and consciously worked to suppress it, so I don't know if it would have faded without her effort. She also sought prayer from Christian friends. For several years after this visitation, our phones would ring several times a day with no one responding when we said hello. All there was on the line was an electronic-sounding sort of crackling noise. The children reported occasionally hearing strange voices but they could not make out what was said. In the summer of 1989, two lights, which I call watcher lights, began appearing outside my bedroom window every night, a little after midnight. I would awaken and see them. A friend who was visiting also saw them on many occasions. They appeared to be across the street and slightly above some trees. They were larger than bright stars appear. Once I was wondering what they were, and one of them zipped over closer to its partner, then did other very quick movements and reversals of direction. They would both do this from time to time. By morning they would be gone. I have had many other experiences as well, but these incidents I have mentioned here seem to me to be related. I have also spoken with what I call elves in their spooky way of communicating, and have had experiences with large beings crashing through the woods and stomping on our front porch. I have watched Air Force fighter reconnaissance planes apparently in pursuit of UFOs as we stood on a mountain observing three consecutive nights of intense UFO activity. All of us who have contributed to Carl's book, Taken, Inside the Alien Human Abduction Agenda, want very much to have others caught up in this phenomenon. If you have been coping with this alone, Please let us share our experiences with you. Please accept the help and support which Carla Turner makes available to you. Now right here I'm going to throw in Art Bell's UFO experience. 
I found him talking about it on YouTube, so I thought it'd be important to put that on here as well. At least for those who didn't know that Art Bell had seen a UFO while he was still alive with his wife at the time. Art Bell and his wife Ramona say they encountered something from out there in 1994. We were on the way home from Las Vegas, about a half mile from where we're standing at the moment. I just happened to look out the rear view, the rear view mirror and just saw something coming up from behind us. And it looked like it, it wasn't normal. normal. And I, I kept saying, what, what the hell is that? And this thing floated above our heads, doing about 30 miles That's an hour. That's a good word, float, yeah. Floated, yeah, it floated. Uh, or defied, had to have been defying gravity, or it was a lighter than aircraft. I don't know. But it was triangular. It was monstrous. The moon and the stars went away. And there it was above us. And we stood and watched it go across the valley and head toward the mountains. It was huge, a cigar shape. The common cause of ufology is to finally determine what in the hell is lying in our skies. It hurt your eyes. I turned away. When I looked back, it's gone. I think that uh, Coast to Coast AM is the main conduit for ufology information. And um, over my phone lines have come the most informed ufologists, the best scientists, and some of the craziest people you'll ever meet. And uh, I was moving very slowly with the cloud cover. It, def and I, and it I definitely never... overflew New York City. Uh, and I never heard about a triangular uh, UFO until I looked it up and I found that you had seen one. Yep. Coast to Coast began as uh, actually a political show, kind of like everybody else's uh, political show that radio is infested with. And one day I got sick of doing the same damn thing over and over again, same politics over and over. And I, I, I began to sort of inject a little, well, a different kind of programming, you know, aliens and... Three points of light. The weird thing about them... Was Coast to Coast became the fourth most popular program on American radio. It was really weird. Like they were doing a dance? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And huh. they went over the rooftop. I think we're fascinated with the whole concept of alien intelligence because it would be so strange if we were all alone. Imagine for a moment how it would feel if we were all alone, if there was no other life, other intelligent life, anywhere in all that you see out there. Hello, welcome to the UFO Connection. I'm Cynthia Siegel. We have an incredible show tonight. We have a very special guest who is visiting all the way from Australia, Kelly Kale, and she has a case to tell us about an extraordinary close encounter that I think you're going to be completely fascinated by. And before we go further, though, what I would like to do is thank one of our longtime viewers, Tom Potter, who is responsible for bringing Kelly to the show today. So please join me in welcoming Kelly Kale. Hi, Hi, Kelly. Hi, Cindy. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for joining us. <sighs> Thank you. Now, this is one of your stops on a lecture circuit that you've been making for the past few weeks throughout the United States and Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how this close encounter began. Okay. I think um, the first thing that I, I think I need to make clear is that the reason why this encounter is actually considered to be a little bit out of the ordinary is the fact that it actually involved multiple witnesses, in fact three separate parties of witnesses in three separate cars, um, six people in all, and uh, the subsequent investigation recovered uh, a lot of ground traces in, uh, including um, marks on the field and physical marks on, on the bodies of um, four of the people involved including myself. So what we have I guess is a case that's very unusual and, and, and not often encountered. But 
Yes, you do have extraordinary evidence, which I would love to go yeah. into uh, a little bit later in the show to fill our audience in about. Um, let's start. What, when did this close encounter begin? What was the, the year? The 8th of August 1993. Um, my husband and I were driving home from a friend's house in the Dandenong Mountains, which is um, probably about 50 kilometres out of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess we saw at about twice the height of the treetops um, from several hundred metres away, something that looked like a at first like a blimp but as we drove closer to it it looked like a, a circle of round orange lights um, except in those lights uh, there appeared to be figures standing in the shadows um, inside the inside yeah, behind the orange lights um, you could see silhouettes of, of tall dark figures and I had enough time to say to my husband look at the people in the windows when it shot off to the left of us and within in a couple of seconds it was totally gone oh um, but that was only the start of it because we continued uh, driving down the road and about two kilometres later um, we ran into what I guess you could call a wall or a screen of light. It seemed that way to me anyway. I actually mm -hmm. had to put my hand up to my brow hmm. um, in order to look through the window at the windscreen and I still couldn't see a thing. From there on um, we actually rounded a corner and what was sitting in the field on the side of the road was um, a huge craft, uh, probably the size of a two to three story building mm -hmm. and the length of an Olympic swimming pool. So it wasn't something that was really uh, easy to miss. And we pulled the car over, but oh. we weren't the only people that did. A um, hundred metres behind us, a bank manager, his wife and their friend who's a registered nurse pulled over and another 25 to 35 metres behind them, David. Um, a government law department employee on his way home actually pulled over as well. Now you weren't traveling on the road with these people. You no, just noticed no, I didn't when you know these out. people at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So basically, we stopped the car, got out, crossed the road. Um, I saw a whole heap of. Well, actually, at first it, it seemed to be one figure in front of the craft, and then a whole heap of them. I felt um, at the same time this energy or frequency go through my body, and it, it's quite difficult to explain it because there really isn't a parallel or comparison but mm. um, I think the only way that, that I might be able to relate it is it felt like a, uh, uh, a low level frequency mm. coming in waves through my body yet it was actually so dense that I could physically feel it and it literally terrified the living daylights out of me. I mean when I got out of the car I was um, I was exhilarated, you know. Mm. I wasn't frightened when I got out of the car. All I could think is this is absolutely amazing and we're seeing something that most people wouldn't get the chance to see in a million lifetimes. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden that euphoria changed to absolute horror. Mm. And um, I uh, really, I guess, lost the plot. <laughs> I really lost control. I, I, uh -huh. I was so freaked out I started screaming and... Mm -hmm. um, was this physically uncomfortable to feel that wave coming through yes, you? Yes, it was almost like something was interfering with the way that my mind worked. Oh. It was like I couldn't think straight. Um, mm -hmm. It was like I was fighting to to be able to think properly at all. And, mm -hmm. and all I could feel was this raw emotional terror. Yes. And it, was, it, it really was like a, a living nightmare. And, um, oh, goodness. Then these beings or figures came across the field, they split up in, and at the same time as I was yelling out, um, their 
eyes <laughs> appeared to light up a, a, a bright red colour. I don't know whether that's infrared or, or what it was. Um, but of course that totally freaked me out, um, so the screaming just got worse. Um, they came across the field, split up into two groups. Some came towards us, some came towards a second party of people down the road. I felt this blow to my solar plexus and I landed flat on my back in the grass. Oh my. Um, so you got knocked over forcefully yeah. by something that didn't touch you that you saw, but it was something that... It was like, um, almost like a an electric charge of some sort. It wasn't like a, a thump. It was like um, I'd received an electric shock straight in the solar plexus. Like process. a shock, huh? Yeah. Um, and were you knocked off your feet? Yeah, literally and... off my feet and oh. flat on my back on the ground. And oh. it knocked the wind out of me. I couldn't breathe. Right. And, I, and I really, really struggled to sit up. I kept thinking I was going to die if I didn't sit up. Hmm. Um, and when I sat up, um, I was violently nauseous as well as struggling to get a bit of air into my lungs. And um, I couldn't see a thing in front of my eyes and that's how I remained for the, the little bit that I, I remember sitting on, the, on in the grass. I was totally blind. I, I couldn't remember. Oh, how I, terrifying. Yeah, it was actually. It was very terrifying. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think I, my, I really was hysterical and I, it's, a, it's almost a little bit embarrassing to, to think about how hysterical I was Completely. then, but I think... Um, it's not until you're put in a situation that's totally out of your control, do you? Absolutely, and you're being assaulted, knocked over, you're losing mm. your vision, and how, how and these red-eyed, terrifying foreign beings are coming towards you. That's yeah. very incredible. Anyway, uh, when I, the last thing I remember was a hand being placed on my shoulder, um, and I went absolutely ballistic, and the next thing I can remember was being back in the car. You felt something touching you? Yeah. Without, so that was why you were still lying on the ground? You no, I, I was see. actually sitting up um, in the grass with my, with my knees apart. Um, so I was actually in a sitting position. Um, but and the but before, before I, I was touched on the sh shoulder, I heard this male voice say, well, someone do something about her. I know it sounds ridiculous. Do something about someone her. Someone do something about her. Exactly. And you think it was one of those beings <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah. Did you well, hear? I couldn't see. You know, I could only hear. Yeah. I was, was totally blind. Mm -hmm. Was this a voice you heard coming from outside? Yes, it was an audible it voice. It wasn't, you know... And it was clearly in English, obviously. Yes, but I, I still hmm. have trouble recalling whether there was an accent or anything. I just... I didn't recognize one, so I, mm -hmm. you know, I assume there wasn't anything out of the ordinary with the voice at all. Did you hear any sounds coming from your husband, let's say, or the people up the road? The only, only in the very beginning when I first got hit and I uh, sat up and, and I called out to my husband that I couldn't see that I was blind and I heard him say, let go of me. Um, and then I heard this, the same male voice um, say, we don't mean you any harm. And my husband saying, well, why did you hit Kelly then? And um, So he saw you get knocked off your feet yeah, and gasped yeah. for air probably afterwards. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not a very good situation. I actually threw up. That's how frightened I was. I, while I was sitting down, I, I, uh, I literally threw up. So. Oh, dear. Goodness. And then the last thing you remember is being touched after uh, sitting up, and then you woke up where? Well, well, I was back in the car and totally disorientated. Um, and as far as I could remember on that particular night was us driving into this light. 
And then you woke up where? Well, well I was back in the car and totally disorientated. Um, and as far as I could remember on that particular night was us driving into this light. And I couldn't remember what had gone out on the field until several weeks later, actually, mm -hmm. until we had driven back up there again. But when I got home that night, um, the first thing was that we had about an hour and a half that we couldn't account for. It had just seemed to have gone instantaneously missing from our lives. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, I was marked with the, uh, an equilateral triangle mark underneath my navel. How large or small uh, would that about be? About nine or ten millimeters each way. Mm -hmm. And what did that look like? Uh, the triangle did it have a color texture? Yeah, it was it? red. Um, it actually looked like a, a burn, or as, it, mm -hmm. as if the, the first few layers of um, of skin had been removed. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the most well, I, did, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I, I noticed it because it was geometric, and I'm sort of was wondering, well, I wonder if this had anything to do with what we saw up in the sky. But then I thought, no, I'm being ridiculous, so I left that. But I think the main problem that occurred that night was that I'd started bleeding when I wasn't due and um, quite profusely and that continued for three and a half weeks till I was hospitalized with an infection in the womb um, which the doctors, the hospital doctors had no explanation for. Now as it happens, um, the two ladies in the second party also had uh, gynecological problems, quite severe ones. Mm. Um, instantly post-encounter mm. um, they were also left with the triangular marks underneath their mm. navels and um, what did the diagnosis for that um, bleeding turn out to be well there was no diagnosis there's even even on the medical records I have there's still question marks beside everything you know that they checked out um, a uh, well first they did pregnancy tests to, to even test that I've been pregnant and something hadn't fested and that was negative they um, they checked out endometriitis, a whole heap of things. All that they had was that there was a uh, interuterine infection, and they had real, really no explanation for why it had actually started. Mm, goodness. Um, now you wrote about all the details of your encounter um, in this book, mm -hmm. Encounter, which uh, we'll be sh talking about in a few minutes for the audience and showing them some pictures out of it. Um, but uh, so this didn't seem to be related to any uh, pregnancy or anything like that. They just have question marks. Yeah, for your case. Yeah, um, still on the medical records. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> and how did were they able to? Tr they were obviously able to treat you for this. And what was the treatment? Yeah, um, I was placed on a uh, very strong group of antibiotics um, uh, for several days in hospital. Then let out and. Um, yeah, it seemed it seemed to do the trick and, and heal the problem, but uh, why the problem occurred in the first place is is still a mystery, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, I went forward to researchers. Um, this was a bit of a problem. I, I knew something had gone on here, and I wanted to do something about it. My husband wasn't in agreement with it, but I just couldn't help myself, mm -hmm. and I started ringing universities, and finally the the Civil Aviation Authority put me onto UFO researchers and. At that time, I had no idea that something like a UFO researcher existed, you know. I sort of thought that I'm the only person in the history of mankind that this has happened to. So uh, this was a subject you had no interest, no familiarity no, with, and whatsoever. this extraordinary experience happens to you. Yeah. And that is really what uh, made you seek out assistance from people in the field. So how did that turn? Now, what about your husband? Though? Let's backtrack a tiny mm -hmm. bit, if you don't mind. Did he have any marks on his body? No, he's the only one that actually, yeah, he's the 
He and, and Bill, um, the male member of the second party, seemed to be the only ones that didn't have marks on their bodies. So out of the six witnesses, there were three females or four females? There was three females and three males. Uh, three females had marks and one male, uh -huh. but the other two didn't. Um, hmm. Okay. Does your husband, did he have recollection the next day also or a few weeks later when you went back to that same place? Um, my my husband, uh, he remembered seeing the craft in the sky, and uh, but whenever I mentioned anything out on the field, he would go absolutely ballistic. He would get really, really angry, and uh, he denied it for a long time until about two and a half years ago, when he finally came out and said, you know, admitted that yeah, he he remembers what went on out in the field, and he has memories of it too, and he's also seen these things at other stages throughout his lifetime before this which really surprised me after all these years of him denying it. But you have to understand he comes from a Muslim background and everything to him was anything to do with UFOs or, or, or this was totally demonic. So his idea was not to touch it, not to think about it, not to do anything with he it. He was trying to deny this whole yeah. event occurred. Yeah, now forget what if, it and it'll go away. Yeah, which obviously, <laughs> as you know, doesn't yeah, work. Now what exactly. about your background? What What is, uh, you said he was a Muslim. What? I was a <laughs> strange marriage mix here, but I was a full-on Pentecostal Christian at the time, which probably explains half of my reaction out on the field, because, you know, I thought I'd had a run in with Satan himself while I was out there and mm -hmm. I think it, you know my hysterics had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think uh, having an upset reaction has a lot to do with everything. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible amount of uh, traumatic events to happen in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So his reaction after was he didn't want to talk about it and you obviously felt the need to do so. You had had physical problems. Did these physical problems end when you came off the IV or were there some lingering physical effects that occurred oh, no, after there, that? There were still effects after the encounter. Um, I think for about nine months I had massive migraine headaches and extreme sensitivity to light and to noise. Um, that seemed to clear up eventually but mm -hmm. this seemed to be immediately post-encounter effects. Um, whether that's from, oh, I don't know what it's from, whether it's from the frequencies um, mm -hmm. we felt out. Had you field. ever had migraines prior no, to this? No, and you were never. getting them how often? Uh, on a daily basis. Some oh. days I couldn't even get out of bed. They were so severe. I, I, all I'd want to do was feel like I was going to throw up all day and I just oh. couldn't lift my head off the pillow. Goodness. And the doctors said what about these migraines? Well, not a lot. I was sent for, for CAT scans and uh, they didn't seem to be any major problem at all. Nothing um, was so showing up in the medical tents no. and they just so it was, um, sent you home. Yeah, and a few painkillers and <laughs> well, what else? It's a bit hard to tell doctors, oh, hold on, you know, I had this UFO encounter, maybe this could be linked to it. It just, uh, you know, you just don't do things like that. Right, so. right. Okay, so now um, you had started to lead us into the talk about contacting uh, researchers mm -hmm. in Australia? Yes, in Australia. Uh, Phenomena Research Australia was the people that I eventually got in contact with and I'm very thankful that I did because um, they have now gone ahead and done what is considered to be probably the most thorough scientific investigation ever done on a UFO case in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and who was, the, the, was it an organization or one individual? No, in it was an organization, but it was headed by John Orgatell. Um, although it ended up expanding beyond that, uh, 
the Monash University of Melbourne got very deeply involved in, in the on-field data collection and analysis as well. So now, what, now this is very remarkable. Now we in this country, when there is a UFO case or a close encounter, the universities don't jump on board, and people don't start usually jumping on board to uh, do good quality research. But you had a reaction like that over there. You're very yeah, fortunate. Yeah, I was so very, very lucky. And uh, now, was it was this uh, were UFO phenomena? Was that commonly talked about? Or we no, no, actually, in Australia? Actually, oh, it's uh, definitely been research going on for many, many years. There's been a lot more cases than will ever be brought out in public, but it, it wasn't an issue that was dealt with in public at the time. So your case really was pivotal in bringing... Oh, it opened, it up, uh, opened the media up uh, in Australia incredibly. Um, yeah. yeah, it was... Uh, but the research itself, um, I just want to go back to that for a moment. Absolutely. The, the on-field ground traces and data took... Uh, 18 months of investigation. Um, there was no expense spared. There was aerial surveys, uh, you know, infrared photography from the air. Uh, the magnetic readings taken were taken by a portable magnetometer. $250,000 worth of equipment and only one of two in Australia. Um, so they basically went all the way. And I've, I've seen photographs of, of several acres of, of the field cordoned off into one meter blocks um, with pegs and ribbon and samples were taken from every single block oh, and uh, several times actually and uh, sent to two separate um, individual analysts um, but the ground traces included uh, a triangular mark out on the field that was first thought to be um, burns but ended up being the chemical pyrene which is a carcinogenic um, cancer causing agent but Hmm. It does come naturally in small quantities in areas such as coal loads, but geologically it shouldn't have been in this particular position, and certainly not in a triangular formation. How large was the triangle, well, the triangle formation? The triangle was only um, uh, it was a, an equilateral triangle again, uh, but the marks were only 20 feet apart. Um, however, there was another very large magnetic anomaly in the shape of a semicircle. And actually, if I show you the picture of the craft we all drew, um, okay. These are the. This is the original craft that I actually. Uh, Here, I'll tell you what. Let's hold it up for the camera, and we'll let them uh, do a close up. Okay, we're going to use this camera, correct? Which one are we using here? All right, this camera is going to do a close up in a moment, and uh, there we go. All right, now I'm going to point to the one that we're talking about first. Now, this one right here is the. I want to make sure there's no glare on it. This is the drawing that Kelly, you did. How how long after the event, the close encounter, did you do this drawing? Um, with within about four or five weeks. Four to five uh, weeks. Yes. Okay. Were you asked to do so? Yes, I was. When I first contacted the researchers, they they um, asked that uh, I submit anything that I could remember, including drawings um, and uh, you know written documentation of everything that I remembered. The second, and, and the reason you didn't do this sooner is because you were having that medical problem for the first three and a half weeks, certainly. Oh, that... The reason is that I hadn't gone forward to researchers, you know. I, I mean, okay. that, that took a bit of courage, and, and yeah. it also took a bit of research to even find out where to go to. Yes. But the second group came forward six weeks after okay. um, I did with the same story and drew the same thing, yet they hadn't weren't aware that I'd already been to the researchers and they weren't told about that either until till approximately nine months um, after the investigation had started or after the encounter so 
how did these people know to come forward? Was there some publicity involved? No, none, none whatsoever. They what, on their own, just like you felt in no, need to Oh, no, 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 no. What, what happened was that there was a, a, an advertisement put by the researchers in a local paper because oh. I ins insisted that there was second, um, a second group of people behind me. Oh. But the advertisement was very carefully worded um, and it was basically to do if, if anyone had had any unusual acti activity in, in this particular suburb. And what they did get was a whole spate of UFO sighting reports. Wow. And then they got this one phone call of these people saying, look, I don't know if you're going to believe this, but <laughs> we had this really unusual experience. And then they mentioned the name of the road, and I mean, those sort of things weren't in So it wasn't just so. actually the people on the ground. There were a lot of people that had seen an aerial sighting yeah, of yeah. this as well. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm not is... sure if it's the same object. but um, Was it the same date and uh, the same general? Well, I don't know. I haven't got... That's the researcher's no, information. I, I just yeah. know, I was just told that they got so many calls and in they... for aerial sightings. Right, and they didn't say UFO sighting or anything, and yet they got a yeah. whole series of calls about this. Very yeah compelling so um, so basically they were kept unaware of our presence that night and um, the sketches they drew were without ever seeing mine or having any clue of what I'd drawn the same as the beings on the field they drew very similar sketches to very me. similar absolutely um, and what we'd seen wasn't the usual little gray that most people may have seen in the media these were six to seven foot tall and black Let's take a look at the drawings that um, the same witnesses, the same two women who drew the craft, yep. craft and yourself. So we'll do a close-up of this, and again, I'll point to the. Okay, I'll point to the first one. This is the one right here that Kelly drew. And oops, crooked. Sorry about that. And the ones on the other page are by the other two witnesses who also did the same drawing, did the similar drawings of the craft, completely separate. Did these two women uh, talk with each other before they did their drawings? Were they friends? They, they, were, they were friends they in, were the in the same car. car. Yeah. Okay. Now the unusual thing is that we all did the same thing. All we drew were a face and eyes, no nose, no mouth, no anything else. And did they feel that the eyes were red as well? Um, they don't remember the eyes lighting up red simply because when they were on the side of the field, they when they first crossed the road, they saw the craft, they saw the beings, they heard a humming noise, and that was it, they were unconscious. Mm. So they didn't even see the beings come across the field and split up, they, they did see them there. Um, so our, you know, our stories slightly differ, but they, they simply because we had different experiences at the same place, but they did take researchers back to the same place. And, so, um, so you might have been the only unfortunate one that got knocked off her feet. Yeah, I, I might have been the only unfortunate one that managed to stay conscious for a little while uh, longer. I might have been better off if I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, truly difficult one. Goodness. All right, so let's keep talking about the uh, during the investigation with this researcher. That you, did you find this helpful to find out that the other witnesses had seen a similar thing when you did? Yeah. Um, well, it's sort of uh, by that stage, I, I was really starting to think, God, I must be going crazy. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> that, yeah, it, it must, must be some form of psychosis or something mm -hmm. like that, because it just couldn't be real. And I think that was the greatest effect on my whole life. Actually, is that. All through my life I've been taught that hmm. strange things like this, they don't exist. Hmm. And uh, I believed in science and academia and, and all of a sudden, here I was faced with this reality that something did exist. And I'd been told that this just didn't exist, so I'd never contemplated it. And I started realizing, hey, these guys don't know what they're talking about. They're just opinions because they didn't really know. And yeah. I, I think that's where 
your whole concept of, of, of logic and reality gets shaken to the very foundations. Um, with myself, uh, it was uh, almost like I had to go right back and start to question everything I'd ever been taught in my life um, and ask, ask myself, is this truth or not? And I have to find the answer for myself. Oh, what a difficult search. Mm. Very difficult. I bet that's been quite a difficult struggle to, uh, especially since the general public, although, like I said, you're fortunate that the media and the people you turn to for help were at least willing to assist you rather than uh, giving you very negative feedback and just ignoring you to, and leaving you alone um, to deal with it without yeah. information. Well, I think, I think um, the Australian media actually took to this so well simply because for the first time they had something physical to look at, they had ground traces to look at, they had marks on people's bodies. Um, uh, Glenda from the second car and David from the third car um, had amazing ligature marks around their ankles. Which, um, which implied what? Well, Glenda says that she, she recalls being strapped down to a table, you know, a, 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 um, a, a relapse, I guess, of consciousness. And she said she was in a room and she was strapped down to a table. Um, don't ask me, but the ligature marks seem to say something, you know, that she was strapped down to something or something tight was around her leg. How many people had ligature marks on their Just leg? Just to her and the um, lone male in the, in the car behind her. Now, he came forward to speak with the researchers and share his experiences, but he has never wanted to come public. Yeah, um, he uh, actually didn't come public. Uh, didn't, we didn't even find out anything about him until 1996, three years down the track. Apparently, mm -hmm. very early on in the piece, they'd gone to other researchers to tell their story, and no one had been interested, and, and it hadn't been linked up, so no one knew that he had anything to do with this and they mm. had got a little bit disillusioned and decided that maybe they'd better just keep it to themselves mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until they saw a story in a magazine um, an article that I'd done that I thought you know hold on a second this sounds exactly like what what um, well, what he went through, this was his wife encouraging him that he's got to do something about it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just as yeah. traumatic for the spouse uh, as the person. Yeah, and he was it. also left with um, the same marks on his body that the two women in the second car had, which a series of three dots on the inside thigh. Um, How large might these dots be, like a puncture dot or uh, a brute, you know, like the end of a pencil eraser on the end yeah, of the pencil? Yeah, about the size of a, the end of a pencil eraser, um, three red spots in a, in a row. That never um, faded in color. Is there any tenderness on these spots, for instance? Uh, not that I, oh, I didn't have them. That so you not, not that I'm aware of. Uh -huh. I'm, just, I'm just aware of the markings. I've, I've been given photographs of the marks. But, mm -hmm. um, now, do you still have your triangle? Nah, it went about five months afterwards. Five months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, actually, at first it was red, and I thought, well, this could be a burn. Then it healed to be the outline of a scar, um, a triangular scar, which suggested more that it, was, it might have been a, uh, a cut or, or the layers of skin removed rather mm -hmm. than rather than actually a burn. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realise, of course, how important that was until mm -hmm. January the following year, when the researchers said, "Well, hey, you're not alone in this because the other two had it as well," and uh, that was a real relief. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, so. Now, have you since, you know, met with the other witnesses and become no, friends, perhaps, no, no, or no, shared experiences? No, I didn't understand that at first. Um, all I thought, you know, we've been through this and no one else in the world has experienced this. 
it's like, well, I really needed them because I wasn't having the support from my husband at mm -hmm. all that I needed. In fact, he was angry the whole, at the whole thing because he just wanted me not to tell anybody and let's go on living the way we were living. And, and yet don't even talk about it with him. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but they, um, at first, they, well, they weren't even told about us until July 1994, mm -hmm. so I had to wait all of that time. Um, they, Almost a year later. About nine months yeah. um, after they came forward, they were told about our presence that night. Mm. Um, they hadn't seen us ahead of them, even though I'd seen them okay. behind us. And um, they did go public. They did a lecture at a, a university and two radio shows that I know of, but I only learned of those in, in retrospect or I would have been there. <laughs> um, and they decided that they weren't going to do it anymore. Um, mm. That Bill was terrified of uh, you know his position as a bank manager if anyone mm. found out and uh, it was the girls who'd actually been speaking and so they all just decided that it just wasn't worth all the, all the trouble of going public and they decided that they were going to leave it behind and really didn't want to deal with it anymore there was actually a lot more to it there was a, a big court case that went on over revealing their personal information in public and a lot of other things who was it that? with the researchers and the second party oh. so there was a, a lot a lot more complications that went on than, than meets the oh eye my. but um now writing this book encounter uh, which you wrote in 1996 well actually I didn't um, it was published in 96 but all of this really comes from um, the journals that I was encouraged to keep by the researchers. It was like write everything down, you know, and may maybe one day it can be used as reference material or something. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was it was a form of I guess a form of therapy too. But more than that, I've I've gone back through my my old um, journals, and sometimes I'm amazed at how much you forget over the years. And it's like, mm. oh God, I forgot all about that. You know, mm. it might be a little incident or uh, you know a little insight. And it was really good to write it down. But the book basically came from that, um, and and from an interview that was done on tape. And, and what what compelled you to write this book? Was it something that felt therapeutically valuable? Did you want to share it with a larger audience? Um, not at first. That's why it took me quite a number of years to do anything with it. Um, I didn't really want to share it with a lot of people. It was even telling my best friends was a bit of a problem, but the support that I got from them really encouraged me a lot. But it was actually researchers and other experiences. I got to meet quite a number of you know, actually now it's in the thousands of other experiences now across the globe. But by then I'd met um, several people and um, everyone kept saying to me, listen, you've got, you've got the ability to actually get out there and do something. You've got physical evidence. You've got three parties of witnesses. And um, we've been in our situations alone. We haven't got what you've got to get out there and tell people, hey, there's something going on. And, and basically, I think I got pushed into a little guilt trip there for a while. <laughs> You're not doing your yeah, that's it, exactly. Yeah, hey, you've got a job to do, girl. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, eventually I, I got around to doing it and I was quite surprised at, um, you know, that a big publisher like HarperCollins snapped it up. And, um, and what kind of reaction did you get to your book? Oh, very good actually. Um, media went uh, crazy on it in Australia and actually that's where the a lot of... Um, a, a lot of media attention turned to UFOs from there on in and um, well, actually a little bit before my book um, 
But I, I think I was one of the first, well, probably the first experience that to go so full on in the Australian media. And uh, I, I was on current affairs programs and in academic journals and, and so oh, on. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. And I mean, I'm not an unintelligent woman, so it's a, you know, I know it looks crazy, mm -hmm. but someone doesn't get up there and make a fool of themselves and invent an absolutely stupid story like that when they know how ridiculous it sounds. So the, the purpose behind that, you know, you, you, you know it's going to look stupid, you know it's going to probably ruin your reputation or whatever, mm -hmm. but when you've got a truth to get out there, it's really important. And um, I just thank God that a lot of people actually did listen, which is, um, yeah. yeah. You're very fortunate. It didn't ruin your reputation. And you live in a, now it did, but you live in a small town now yes, so in Australia and how do your your fellow townspeople uh, feel about your experience or is there any you know fall feedback from yeah. it yeah oh, well actually uh, my next door my next door neighbor is a pastor of a church and uh, Within weeks of me moving in, he was on my doorstep saying, uh, "I heard you wrote a book," mm -hmm. and he said, "Oh, the boys have been talking about it." So, but I don't. I, I tend to uh, stick to myself a lot. I'm a very private person, so mm -hmm. I really don't know what people say and think. I nobody's coming. No one will do it purposely anything. to me. Actually, yeah. the only problem, person having any problem with it at the moment is my my oldest. Uh, she's about to turn 13, and she's going through that stage where everything about her mum's embarrassing, and th this just makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Once upon a time, she used to be really proud of this. Not anymore. Uh, yeah, so that's <laughs> just, just that age. <laughs> yes, it's being a 13-year-old. Yeah. So <laughs> Now, you have three children, correct? Yes, I do. And how do the others, uh, has there been any experiences that you know of that your children have had? Or have you had, and, well, let's start with your children and then... Uh, um, well, I certainly hope not. Um, so none that you know of, no, your none, children none. have not had any encounters or visitations. No, no. Do you feel you've had any visitations or encounters since that 90, August 93 event? Yes, I had for five months after the encounter. I had what I term as night visitations. I had woke up on four occasions to see one of these tall dark beings standing right beside my bed. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it was a sleep phenomena or something, I don't know, but it certainly seemed real when I woke up. And um, yeah, uh, well, enough to scare the living daylights out of me so that, uh, you know, only, it's only been two and a half years since I've been able to sleep without the light on again. Mm. So, you know, when, you, when you've been that scared as an adult that you've got to sleep with the light on in your room, you know, it's, uh, to me it was very, very real. Um, now, the being that you saw in the follow-up visitations, mm. night visitations, were, did they appear as best as you could tell to be the same being? There's only one. Um, okay, was it the, did it appear to be the same as the seven beings? Yeah. How many did you see out in the field that night? We didn't Seven or eight. Seven or eight. Did it yeah. appear to be the same? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mm. was um, pretty sure it was one of the same. So other than the sort of teardrop-shaped head with the red eyes that appeared to glow, is that a, a appropriate yeah. way to describe it? Were there, what about the rest of the features? Okay, well, I'm sure when it, beside my bed, um, it seemed to be wearing a cloak. Huh. Um, like a cape? Yeah. Down to the ground? Or? Yeah, and a hood on it. And, oh. and it's really actually quite strange because um, Glinda from the second party um, only found out probably two years down the track I was given more of her diagrams and uh, 
where she says she came back into consciousness and she was strapped down to a table, the being that she woke up and saw was also wearing a cloak. Hmm. Um, so there's a sort of a, a little coincidence there. Yeah. But out on the field, I really can't tell you about their bodies because when some, when you see this sort of this huge mass of glowing red eyes coming straight at you, you're not looking at anything else but the eyes. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you're not worried about the colour of their fingernail polish. It just doesn't enter your mind. Would it appear like when cats' eyes, you know, the light hits them just right at night? No. Was it that kind of no. a red eye? It was like. Um, like it was like it was like street. it was like a a, a red hot glow on a stove, huh. that sort of glow. Very interesting. Mm. Hmm. Wow. I would be terrified. Who wouldn't be terrified seeing something like that? And I can't even imagine waking up and standing on the side of my bed as some red-eyed creature with a cloak on. That's a, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Goodness well, that, that first time it happened, there was no way I was going back to sleep that night. I was sort of absolutely I'm surprised you terrified. ever went back to sleep, Kelly. <laughs> the eye was with you. <laughs> well, at least it only oh. lasted for five months. You know, there's a lot of people oh. that I speak to. How often did it happen during that five months period? Four you times. Four times during yeah. the five months. And what yeah. happened during those night visitations? Okay, well, the first time um, I could feel this. I was asleep and I had a very vivid dream where I could feel this presence in my dream and something said to me not to be frightened of what was about to happen and I felt this suction on my chest and almost like my chest had turned into an elastic band and something was sucking something out of me oh. and then I got a bit panicked and it eased back into me a little bit and then it started again but really really strong and that's what woke me up like energy or something was being drawn out of me but it really made my chest feel like it was an elastic band mm. and when I woke up that's when I saw this thing standing this far away from me on the Ooh. side of the bed. Yet in my here's the difference. In my dream, when I was asleep, I couldn't see anything. It was just a presence. Only ever in all of these dreams, when I woke up, did I see something. In the dreams, there was yeah. never anything to see. It was just an awareness of a very strong presence of something. Yeah. And what I did notice is the, the same absolute horror energy that I had out on the field yeah. was the same thing I felt when this thing showed up. Oh, dear. And... How, what happened next when you had that feeling of horror? How long did this last? Did anything happen like a, any physical marks the next day? Any communication? Any no, missing no. time that you knew of? No, it just seemed to just stand there and look at me and, and then it was gone. But I just got the impression that I might have won this time, but you know, there'll be other days. That's that's the, the whole impression. Oh, yeah, Almost like it's, it was there long enough for me to realize that, hey, this is real. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it wasn't. And um, yeah, it wasn't a, a good year, I think, after that. Sort of all, and that wasn't, actually, that wasn't all that happened. I, I tend to forget a lot of things, but um, hmm. we had some very strange electrical phenomena going on around the house. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, we had major appliances blowing light bulbs going all of the time. You know, what do you just, mean? Just what do you mean, going blowing up or yeah, turning yeah. on and off by itself? Um, uh, we had the TV turning on and off by itself. The, my husband's car would turn over in the driveway like it was like the sound of a car that's been flooded with a kill switch on and the doors locked. And he'd run down to with try no and find. Yeah, he'd run down to try and find the, the thief, and the car's still locked, and the, and the, the kill switch is still on. Oh my God! And no key in the ignition, and know, the car is going. Was, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh my! So this is some to me, and I was getting electric shocks from things that shouldn't conduct electricity, like uh, rocks and soil and wood and things out in the garden. I kept oh. getting these these shocks all the time, and I really think that, especially with the car, 
but somehow whatever we were in contact with in out in the field had uh, some sort of electrical charge or something that started to well, not only affect our bodies but but you know mechanical things like the car as well so mm -hmm. it's quite an unusual time wow <laughs> how long did those strange uh, that, that stuff went on for about nine or ten months so think, you were having so. migraines for about nine months yeah you were having strange electrical effects mm. and then they dissipated stopped abruptly yeah, it just seemed to disappear, it just seemed to disappear. stop. Um, mm -hmm. And so the night visitation stopped after that nine months as well? No, they, they were only the first five months. First five months. So yeah. after nine months after, as far as you know, you have had no experiences? Well, not, not anything like that, no. <laughs> that type of an experience. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you had any, any experiences at all prior to August 93 on the road? Well... There's only one experience that now makes sense, and it didn't then. Um, in 1991, I was living in a Melbourne suburb, Laylor, and I was very, very pregnant um, with my third child. Very <laughs> pregnant, right? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very, very, very pregnant. Very, very pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, and minutes away from due date. <laughs> I woke up in the morning lying spread-eagled on my, my huge stomach, balancing on the bed with my arms and legs sort of off the bed, um, with my son kicking me, and my waters had actually broken, and I, it was really hard actually to get up off the bed, and I don't even know how I got in that position, but I got up and I started to walk towards the door, and I noticed my night he was on inside out. And then I thought, when did I, you know, it's a bit stupid putting that on backwards, and, and I asked myself, when, you know, when did I put it on? And I could not remember going to bed. The last thing I remember was sitting out in the lounge room. And it's the first time in my life where I hadn't remembered doing something. And I sort of, you know, ticked over in my mind. And because I was going into labour at oh. that very time, you know, sort of my, the concern about it lasted till about as far as I got to the bedroom door. And that was it. You know, the other things sort of took precedence over yeah. it. But I also came up with... Um, these marks on the side of my legs which were like um, deep grooves and that were dark purple and they all seem to come up around the same time mm. and it's only now um, after I've learnt a, a lot about UFO experiences and everything that I that they're, that they're the classical scoop marks that a lot mm. of um, uh, UFO experiences actually have and if, if you actually feel them you can feel um, what feels like a, a hole going down through the muscle tissue right down like a punch biopsy. Mm. So you still have that mark yeah. on your ankle? Yeah, no, on both of my calves. Yeah. Both of your calves? Yeah. Oh. So that does look like something else strange happened there, but... Yeah. Now, can't... was the birth healthy, normal, everything went fine when you did get, you went to a hospital? Yeah, well, I had to be induced, but, um, uh, yeah, the birth was fine. Um, and your son is how old now? This is your youngest? Yeah, he's eight. And look at that big smile. He's a cutie. He's a cutie. Wonderful. So he's eight years old now. Mm -hmm. And is there anything unique about him that you've noticed that perhaps you think uh, well, is Well, he's a little angel. <laughs> Unlike the 13 year old. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's Bobby's little angel. And yeah. we'll be again soon. <laughs> Yeah, so there's nothing in particular about his health or his oh. uh, thinking, philosophy, mental capacity. Well, he's a very, very, very compassionate child, but uh, mm. whether that's got to do with the way that 
you know, different children are raised. You know, you learn by your mistakes, I guess. <laughs> um, but um, otherwise, yeah, no, otherwise it's easy. Regular everyday, yeah. wonderful yeah. kid, huh? Yeah, that's it. Oh, well, wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, uh, in looking back, that's very nice that everything went smoothly. Wow. So this is an absolutely extraordinary case. I mean, the amount of evidence you have between the, the uh, landing marks and all the things that happened to the soil. Um, I know that there's, I have a little list here, if you don't mind, just to summarize things for people, um, the evidence that you have. Let me get the soil effects here. Um, there's six soil effects that I got now. Where, what I'm reading off of now, just so people know, is off mm -hmm. of an article that you wrote that is on the internet through the, let me just double check, MUFON LA website because you were just down there doing a presentation for them as well, along with a lot of other places. <laughs> Kentucky, Canada, Northern and Southern California, and uh, the six soil effects. Now you had mentioned that there was, uh, was it tannic acid? Is that the... Um, Tan tannic acid is probably the strange one because it was coat it, it should have been dissolved with all the rain. It was actually coated in, in an unidentifiable waxy substance, which seems to be a residue left from... Yeah, what's the waxy substance? That's incredible. Yeah. Is it plant material or... Wax. I mean, it was. What a well, I couldn't I, I really identify it except that it was, you know, it was waxy. <laughs> See, oh, as I said, it seemed to be a, a residue left, um, and it was only in this this crescent shaped magnetic anomaly. Mm -hmm. In fact, all of the all of the soil um, changes and, and changes in the chemistry were confined to that. Uh, that crescent-shaped magnetic anomaly and, mm. and the ground within that. So out of the entire large area that they tested, it yeah, most of the ev everything was inside everything of was. that. Yeah. Now they're also how is the foliage of the area? Oh, like that's very interesting actually. Um, all of the foliage in the crescent area, including blades of grass, leaves, everything, um, was covered in a, what looked like little holes everywhere. It's like a, mm. a constant abrasion through everything. And this little hole effect seems to go further because it was actually in the soil as well. Um, was, the soil seemed to be fil filled with little air holes as mm. if water had been drained from it very, very rapidly, like some kind of... Um, Rapid dehydration. Yeah, exactly. That's a little bit similar to what happens uh, in some crop circles. That's very interesting. Mm. They've had that happening, the hardening of the soil, uh, yeah, the rapid... The compacting, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so the compacting from the pressure, the minute air holes. Also, there was a great deal of sulfur present in that yeah, crescent. Um, yeah, an extraordinary amount, actually, in the semicircle, sort of... But after my experience, all I could think of is a fire and brimstone. <laughs> the sulfur comes in really well there, doesn't it? I wonder if that's where that original association came from. You know, that's very possible. Very interesting. Now, the uh, and and the other cross reference that we have between you and the other two carloads of witnesses, a total of six people from three different vantage points. Well, the six of you were along the road. Mm -hmm. What you all share together is, um, as we saw earlier in the show, the drawings of the crafts that were all drawn separately, yet clearly, you know, are, you all saw the same thing, the drawings of the beings. Um, you and some of the other women had similar uh, medical problems after. Mm -hmm. Did any of them experience um, the migraines like you did or any unusual electrical effects around their homes? Um, I am not sure of the Actually, you, you're now asking me questions that I should have been asking uh -huh. myself. Uh -huh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, now I know what to ask for. Um, Call that research. <laughs> I, I, I have been, you know, I am aware that they, they've had um, 
some kind of visitations afterwards oh, they did. too. Yeah, oh, um, the ladies did. Um, as for electrical phenomena, I don't know. Bill did seem to have, uh, there was mail from the second party, did seem to have one unusual um, factor with, with his experience is that directly afterwards he started losing quite large clumps of hair from out the back of his head and within a very short amount of time he developed quite a large bald spot. Um, mm. So there seems to, I don't know whether it's effects of radiation or, or what it was. but uh, mm -hmm. Now did you have any uh, uh, reaction as if you were exposed to radiation or anything like that? Well, this is this is what makes me keep thinking back to the Laylor, the, the incident that might have occurred two years before was that I got very very ill after that and I started losing hair by the handful. Um, the same this was sort right of after the birth of your son, mm. after the event where yes, you woke yes. up. And I actually had to. Um, oh dear! I actually had a, to be rushed to hospital with with what was supposed to be appendicitis, and they and they did a. Um, uh, an emergency operation on me at one o'clock in the morning but mm. first they did a, a te blood test and one of the signs of appendicitis is that your um, white cell count goes sky high right. and yet when they got inside all they could find was some sort of inflammation and there wasn't anything wrong with the, the appendix just the huh. whole inside of me had become inflamed and what I find is unusual is that radiation uh, has the same effect that it sends the white cell count soaring and hmm. you know sort of all happened around the same period and it really mm -hmm. makes me think but um that you might have had some radiation exposure yeah. on the, the event that occurred before the uh, August 93 yeah. event that you talk about in this book now your book encounter is not available at the moment you have sold out of all your copies mm -hmm. and uh, people are going to just have to uh, wait while in you source. find another publisher yes. in the hopes of making it available or if they're very lucky they'll find it in a used bookstore but it's not available at the moment yeah, it hasn't been published in the United States. Yet, now, if people, do want to, yeah, if people want to reach you, however, are you open to hearing from some of our viewers yes, here at yes, the Connection? How um, would people get in touch with you, Kelly? Uh, usually by email. Um, okay. Would you be willing to say your email yeah, address? That's fine. It's uh, all lowercase expo, e -X -P -O, at i-o.net.au. Okay. Read it one more time. Say it one more time. Okay. That's expo, e-x-p-o, at i-o.net.au. Dot net dot au. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that you're willing to uh, hear from our viewers. This is truly an incredible case. And if people um, do want to learn more, even though they may not be able to um, find your book, uh, perhaps they can find more information about you on the internet anyway. Do you feel that there's any site in particular that might be more accurate for... Uh, MUFON? <laughs> <laughs> MUFON. Okay. Go to MUFONLA.com. Very good. I'm glad you feel that's responsible. <laughs> MUFONLA.com will have uh, accurate information about Kelly Kale's uh, um, case. Her last name is C-A-H-I-L-L, -L, just so the viewers know how to spell that when they're typing it in. Um, well, Kelly, this has been incredible. We're, like I said, we're very honored to have you here. We really appreciate your making a special trip up to Sacramento just to be on the UFO Connection. It's been an enormous treat to meet you. And again, I want to thank Tom Potter for uh, being responsible for bringing you up here and hosting you up here. It's, it's been a treat. And I'd like to thank you for joining us here at the UFO Connection with our extraordinary guest all the way from Australia, Kelly Kale. With that, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank you guys for an awesome freaking year. I want to thank the Ghoulies for hot rods from outer space. As a side note for those who don't know, I merely asked the Ghoulies.
license to use that song, and they gave me permission. And that is awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I hope that my podcast isn't getting too boring for you. So please like, share, review it. I would be deeply appreciative of it. Let me know where I need to improve. If you guys want to get a hold of me to appear on the podcast as a guest or even just tell your story, just hit me up at theufosyahoo.com or hit me up on Facebook. Just let me know what you guys think. Alright, that being said, I'm going to let you guys go. Keep kicking it. <laughs>